Holy Spirit, you search the deepest parts of us and the deepest parts of our Father in heaven. You intercede for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Holy Spirit, we choose right now to deeply trust you. You know precisely what we need this morning. You know exactly where we are. I believe that you have for each of us a a divinely ordained moment. a gift from our Father that we need today, new mercy for this morning. And I just ask that we don't miss it. What if this is the day that's going to set the tone for the rest of our lives? What if this is the moment that where the seed is planted in us that will grow to be all that our destiny is. Teach us to be attentive. I have not been able to land on where we need to go today. Um, I've been praying about it, and uh, I've just, all I've gotten from the Holy Spirit is a shrug. You know? <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the equivalent of what I've heard from the Holy Spirit about this morning. So, um, I, I feel like when, when that's what we get, we need to be honest about it. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could, I could plow forward, and um, you know, I have in my computer, I have notes for to teach through. You know, probably half the Bible, and we could do that, and uh, and and God would probably say good stuff to us. But uh, we we are we serve a living God, and we serve a God who's who is uh, a presence and at work, and and. I would rather be like Jesus and say, I'm not going to say anything the Father isn't saying. So, 
What's going on? Let's see if we can discover this together. What's going on in your heart, in your head? Did somebody bring a, a, a burning question or thought or idea or, or anything? Sure. So, when a lot of times when you've spoken, and I don't really have any skills here, unfortunately, I still do, um, but a lot of times when you've spoken, and in the past as well, whenever people have spoken and it challenges my faith, yeah. it bothers me yeah. a lot. Okay. I don't know, but I would ask you. That's what people keep doing. I'm like, I don't understand. Well, yeah, but let's dig into it a little bit because I'm curious. Am I, am I allowed to be curious? Okay. And uh, with everybody in the room, that's okay? Okay. I'm not going to record this. Every single one of you is able to hear the voice of God. That's the promise God's given us. Okay? That's the promise that he's made to us. I'm going to pull up my notes on this. Because you need to be practicing. Okay? You need to be practicing. And that might be a little bit weird for you to think about. Practicing hearing the voice of God, but you need to be practicing. John chapter 10, verse 27, says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay? That's really good stuff. Okay. So this is the promise of Jesus in John 10. The promise of Jesus is, you will hear his voice. I want you to look at the person on your right, the person on your left, and I want you to tell them, he's not talking to you, he's talking to me. Okay? Because a lot of people love to put the hearing God's voice thing on somebody else. People love to kind of say, boy, I wish I would just get a prophetic word. Well, you want one, go get one. <laughs> really, though, you want a prophetic word? Go to the prophet. Jesus, prophesy, please, to me. I need to hear. I need to hear from you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is not our pet. And he's not a genie. And he's not controllable. Jesus, what? During chapel, his family told a story this morning. His mom told him whenever he was a kid that God is not a genie, that you can just wish up whenever you have a problem. The truth. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Jesus is not your pet. He's not your genie. He's not, you know, he's not 
Mr. Aladdin, sir, what will your pleasure be? That is not who he is. He is wild and uncontrollable, unpredictable. He does not live in your box. Which should be scary sometimes. But it's not. It's not scary. You want to know why it's not scary? Because all of his wildness, all of his uncontrollability, all of his sovereignty, that's, that's the Bible word or the, the theological word for God, God's uncontrollability, is sovereignty. The word sovereignty means God is in control of himself and he is entirely free to do whatever he chooses to do at any given time. Okay? That is what sovereignty means. And God's sovereignty, if we didn't know who he was, it would be scary. Because God is both sovereign and omnipotent. But God's sovereignty should not be scary because we know exactly who he is. Because like we talked about last week, he's been perfectly revealed by his son Jesus Christ. So we know that when God does what God wants to do, God loves. That's what he does. So when we ask him for a word, often, often, we're going to hear things that we didn't want to hear, and we're not going to hear the things we wanted to hear. He's going to speak to us about stuff we weren't asking about, and he's not going to speak to us about stuff that we were asking about. But you can trust him because he's the best leader in the world. He knows what you need to hear today. Even better than you do. The question isn't, will you be able to hear him or not? Jesus' promise is clear. You will be able to hear him. Jeremiah 33. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, Jesus was speaking to Israel in a very specific time and that is a very specific application. But the God who said that to Israel back then is the God who we serve today and he is still saying the same thing. Call to me and I will answer you. Is that a maybe? Is that a kind of? Is that an every once in a while? No. No. He will speak to you. John 17, verse 16, and then verse 23 and 24. John 17, 16 says, you will see me. John 17, 23 says, in that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name and uh, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father.
We all have this picture of God. We all have different pictures of God. But I'll give you one of mine, okay? One of my pictures of God has always been that God is uh, passive-aggressive, okay? And that God um, doesn't just talk, that he kind of hides, that he kind of like, you know, like, well, you're going to have to go through this whole maze to find me. You're going to have to work through all this stuff to come and to hear my voice. You're going to have to, for, you know, ask me for forgiveness from all of this garbage. You're going to have to be perfect. You're going to have to do it. And I'm going to have to go through all these motions to hear from the Lord. And I've got to do this. And I've got to do that. And I've got to work here. And I've got to do this. And I've got to go there. And eh, wrong. That is not the God that is, that is described in Scripture, the God that is described in Scripture is a God who never stops talking, but we often stop listening. We often stop listening. The issue isn't, is God speaking? The issue is, am I listening And sometimes it is difficult to know, is God, is this God speaking or is this another voice speaking? You saw that just a minute ago that it's like, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. And that was great discernment to know that. Hey, that's not Jesus. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit and we all need that. Here is, I'm going to say something controversial. I know you're all shocked, okay? I'm going to say something controversial. Oh boy, here we go. When you hear something, okay, when you hear something, was that God is not as important, it's not the most important question to ask, okay? The most important question to ask is, was that true? Okay, and the reason I say that it's because Satan will never tell you the truth, number one. So that rules him out. If it was true, then it rules the enemy out. That wasn't the enemy. So there's only three voices, really. And that's not actually true, but we'll just whittle it down. There's only three voices. Satan, yourself, and the Lord. Right? Are you with me? It's either the enemy, the enemy uses lots of different things to speak. Sometimes he uses the world, sometimes he uses humans, sometimes he uses circumstances, sometimes he uses your past. Okay? It's either the enemy, or it's myself, what I'm hearing is my own voice, or it's the Lord. Right? And the Lord's speaking to me. If you're asking, is it true, then we know it's not the enemy because the enemy always lies every single time. And sometimes his lies have a little grain of truth. But is it true? Really? The answer is no. 
then it's the enemy's voice. And you can say, Ant, I'm ruling that out. Okay? But if the answer is, is it true? And the answer is yes, it doesn't really matter if it's your voice or if it's the Lord's voice, because it's true. So if it's true and it's your voice, you're reminding yourself of something you need to know. And something the Lord probably spoke to you in the first place. And if it's true and it's the Lord's voice, then it's the Lord's voice and you can trust it. Are you with me? So it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, asking the question, is it God? Even if it's you. If it's true, it's worth hearing. Are you with me this morning? Okay. So when you're asking to hear from the Lord, that's the question you ask. And what's your plumb line, folks? How do you know if it's true or not? Say that loud. And what's the word of God? Yes, the Bible, but even more. Let's go deeper than that. What's the word of God? It's God-breathed and God-inspired and um, acceptable for, it's probable for doctrine. Well, you're describing the Bible. I asked you what was the word of God. Thank you. Who said that? Great job. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. John tells us that. In the beginning was the? Was he talking about the Bible? Nope. Nope. Jesus is the word of God. The Bible points us to the word of God. But the Bible is not the word of God. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Now, wait a minute. Is the Bible inspired? Yes. yes. The Bible, Timothy. Oh, crap. You need to know this if you're going to go through the ordination process, because this is one of the, one of the, anyway. You just quoted it. The Bible is inspired. All scripture is inspired by God, and? It's profitable for Doctrine, review, correction, correct. instruction, and righteous living. You can find that in 1 Timothy. It's a beautiful, I don't remember where, though. You know, I need to brush up on my 16 fundamentals. Okay? Amen. So the Bible's inspired by God. Absolutely. Yes. But is the Bible the Word of God? Capital T, capital W. No. 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 Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible is. Scripture, it's inspired by God, it's beautiful, it's true. But Jesus is the Word of God, and we need to pay attention to the difference. Because Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, You hypocrites, you spend your life studying the Bible, thinking that it will save you, but you refuse to come to me that I might give you life. Let's go back to John 1 again. Okay? John 1, the very place where we're told that Jesus is the Word of God. Okay? 
I love John chapter 1. So good. Maybe that's just where we'll spend our time for the rest of the day. I don't know what we're doing today. God's just bouncing around. Although we really spent a bunch of time in John chapter 1 our first week, so... John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now pay attention to this next verse. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But He, Jesus, has made Him known. Read that again. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Y'all with me right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Jesus is the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then He contrasts Jesus with Moses. Now, when he does that, what is he talking about? Did John know Moses? Has John ever met Moses? No. So what is he talking about when he says Moses? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the old covenant. He's talking about the only scriptures that John had at the time. Well, actually, by the time John wrote his gospel... We already had Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Now, they weren't... We didn't have a New Testament yet. But we, they already had the letters of Paul. John, the, the book of John is one of the youngest books in the New Testament. It was written pretty late. It was written after Paul's letters, and it was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So far as we know, we don't know for sure, but that's what they guess. Yeah. Wait, you said the youngest. Yeah. No, I said one of the youngest. It's not not the youngest. Probably Revelation is the youngest, but but the of the other if books. They wrote, if they wrote everything like some of them wrote after John, how did they like? Well, okay, think about it. There's 27 books in the New Testament, right? 
They weren't all written at the same time. They weren't all written by the same person. Right? Okay. Paul's letters predate all the Gospels. Notice that Paul doesn't ever quote the Gospels in his letters. Paul's letters were all written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Okay? But the apostles were teaching the things that Jesus said. We're telling stories about Jesus. All the people that followed Jesus when he was here were all talking about what Jesus did. But it was only later, most, most scholars think Mark was the first, that somebody actually sat down to write down all that stuff, to put it in writing. Before that, it was just verbal. There wasn't anybody sitting there at the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are the cheesemakers. That wasn't happening. Any other Monty Python fans in the room? Um, <laughs> nobody was doing that. But, which is part of why Jesus preached the way he did. First of all, every sermon you see of Jesus's, he probably preached 50, 60, 70, 100 times okay, in the different villages that he went to. And he did them the same way because that's what you would do. And in a verbal culture, which we don't understand because we're not a verbal culture, we, we, are, we are a literate culture. We want to remember something, we write it down. But that's not how they do it when they can't read in order to remember things, right? <laughs> and most of Jesus' audience could not read or write. Okay? Now, the Jewish people were more educated than most folks. But the reality is that probably most of the disciples were illiterate, at least at first. Now, they may have learned how to read. They might be able to read Hebrew or Aramaic. They definitely couldn't read Greek. And the New Testament's written in Greek. By the way, Jesus didn't preach in Greek. So the Gospels are already a translation before they're ever translated to English. Oh, let's not even start. <laughs> they just, they live in the world of the flat earthers to me. They just decided. No. No. They just put it in a pleasing configuration. Oh, of course, absolutely, sure. Although John was purposefully written to say things the other Gospels had not said. John says that to us. He said, basically, he says, uh, I, re I read the other work and it was good, but I was there and there was some other stuff you should probably know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that was, you know, and, uh, and, and that's kind of how it works. You know, John was, like, John was like, yeah, all that stuff was true, but you missed some really good stuff like the washing... Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That's not in any of the other Gospels. There's several things in the book of John that are not in the other Gospels that John obviously said, hey, what about this? This was really meaningful to me in the ministry of Jesus. It's not even mentioned there. And if you check out John, this is fun, John messes with the order of when things happen too. Okay, because he goes, Jesus goes from the wedding at Cana and then he goes and he cleanses the temple. And all the other Gospels put the cleansing of the temple at the end of Jesus' ministry. John puts it up at the front. 
And that doesn't mean that they disagreed. It just means that John wasn't really all that interested in writing a chronological account of Jesus' ministry. What's the point? Let's put the crucifixion in the middle, you know? <laughs> he didn't do that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Need to understand, whenever we read the Bible, we are reading something that was inspired by God but came through a human vessel. And the writers of the scriptures had, they made choices. This isn't automatic writing. This isn't, I'm going to go into a trance. That's not how it worked, okay? And sometimes I think we treat the Bible that way, as if there weren't human voices in it. There are. Now, they're inspired voices, which means we can trust what the Bible has to say. The other reason we can trust what the Bible has to say is that wise pastors and theologians are the ones that put the Bible together. And there were a whole bunch of books that were on the list that other people were passing around as scripture that the, Nice that the Council of Nicaea said, no, not scripture. The books had to stand up to some really rigorous and important things for them to be included in the New Testament canon. Okay, but you can go read some of those other books. Go read the Gospel of Thomas. Go read the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Go read the Gospel. There's all, they're out there in the internet. Go find them. They're fascinating. Isn't it called the two Christ Yes, or the Apocrypha is the Old Testament version of that. Yes. There's lots of other books out there that, that were written right around that time and they were about Jesus or whatever, but they weren't deemed as scripture by the Council of Nicaea 300 and some years after Jesus' death, birth. Okay, go ahead. Well, I think that's, oh, well, do, do you, are you asking me if the Gospel of Thomas is inspired? Yes. Yeah, basically, but why did it not? The best answer I have to that question is, I don't know. <laughs> and we don't trust it like we trust the other books because it was excluded for some reason. So we don't trust it. Doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean you shouldn't read it. Just uh, we just don't cons put it in the same category as we do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But do you think God intended them to make the whatever they did to have them included, or do you think? Do I think God had a list of books in His head that that He wanted? My best answer to that is I don't know. I know. We don't like that answer because we all want to be rock solid certain about everything, don't we? We all want to just be like, that's the way it is. It's obviously the truth. And lots of people, especially in evangelicalism, are going to tell you, God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the list of the 27. And I'm going, um, sir, uh, the, the Council of Nicaea actually had a couple other books in it that is not in the list that we currently, in fact, the gospel, the the list that we, you and I, currently read was 
was edited by the reformers only 500 years ago and 1,500 years after the time of Christ. And there's books that were included prior to that that are not included in our current canon. And so 1,500 years of the church had books that, were, that shouldn't have been included, and then God just changed his mind 500 years ago and was like, never mind, take those books out. <laughs> I just find that silly. I find that silly. Human choices, human choices have consequences. Human choices are real. And the books that are included in the Bible are absolutely, I believe with all of my heart, inspired. I believe that they, that they are trustworthy, that they are useful, profitable for teaching and correction and blah, 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 blah. But I won't call them the Word of God because Jesus is the Word of God. I will call them inspired. I will read them. I love the Bible. I will teach the Bible to the end of my days. But I will not, will not call it capital W, Word of God, because it's not what it is. I'm so grateful for this book. But please, let's not, it is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. That's not it. We don't worship these words. Yes. Your hand's just getting taller and taller and taller. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to be scratching the ceiling. You, well, what she was originally talking about wasn't what you just got back onto, which is actually similar to the question. Where you want to go, okay. So, um, and I could be thinking this wrong, but isn't there a scripture in the Bible that says to hide the word in your heart? Yeah, okay. okay. So then, then, It's in the Psalms. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So he would have been referring to probably the books of Moses. Okay. So if you're going to follow that scripture as originally intended, you're just going to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Okay, so that's what that one meant? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what that one meant. Yeah, exactly. Keep going. Keep going. I was going to, <laughs> I was going to ask. If whenever, shut up, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse, I was gonna ask if the um, whenever it says to hide the word in your heart, if when it we're talking about the word, which I haven't looked at it in a bit, so, but if that would mean like to hide Jesus in your heart, not in the context, no, in the context, he's referring specifically to the Hebrew scriptures. Okay. Okay. Now, Paul includes and then Peter later includes Paul's writings in and uses the word scripture about Paul's writings okay and so I think we're safe hiding the prophets and the New Testament and Paul's letters in our hearts that we might not sin against God but that's not the original context if you're looking at when the writer said your word I have hidden your word those words he was referring to the books of Moses because that's all he had. Right. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. But we still take all that is scripture and hide it in our hearts. Right. Okay. And that's fine. But that would be different than what was originally. Are you with me on that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? Doing okay right now? The Bible does not deserve to be worshipped. It deserves to be read, studied, chewed on, thought about, 
does not deserve to be worshipped, deserves to be known and understood and explored, but it does not deserve to be worshipped. And the only reason the Bible deserves to be known and read and explored, other than the fact that it is truly some of the greatest literature ever to come out of the human race, it truly is. Especially books like Isaiah and John and the writings of Paul. These men were geniuses. I mean, no, no I, these, le, these things will stand up next to the other greatest works of literature in human history. I mean, Shakespeare and, and you name it, and, and hold their own just as works of literature, okay? But, and so just for that, you should read them. But, the reason why we spend our time and why I would encourage you to read the Bible every single day is because it points us to Jesus. But the Bible's not the end. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the object in view. The Bible is just a really good telescope. Are you with me? Don't feel stupid at all. But um, why is it John and then John one three? Because the there's the Gospel of John, and then there are the Epistles of John. Okay, the Gospel of John is a holy biography of Jesus. Okay, the Epistles of John are letters written by John to the church at Ephesus. Are you with me? That's why. That's why the Gospel of John isn't John 1 or 1 John. and then No, because there are different kinds of literature. That's the other thing. The Bible is full of different kinds of literature, and if you don't know what kind of literature you're reading, you don't know how to read it. Okay? If you tried to read a poem like it, was, like it was a novel, it doesn't make any sense. You're like, what's happening in this? <laughs> Okay, but we do it all the time with scripture. Uh, one of my my I have I talked to you about flat earthers yet? They're one of my favorite people to make fun of. Please keep you here to laugh at um, You know because because <laughs> there are these people out there that that love love to take the Bible. They would say if you take the Bible literally, then you have to believe this. And I would say you're full of crap because here's why. I may not, I'm not going to take poetry literally because you're not supposed to. You don't take poetry literally. You don't take songs literally. You don't take figurative language literally. That's abusing the language. If I were to say, let me, let me think of, you know, God's love is like a shoreless ocean. Okay? And you were like, which I, I love that. Yes, amen. <laughs> Has no shore and no bottom. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Woo! I'm going to do Yes! Okay? And then you said back to me, is it salt water or fresh water? <laughs> you have missed the point entirely. Are there animals in this ocean? Oh my gosh! It's a metaphor. It's a 
It's actually a simile because you said like. Okay, it's a simile. Gosh. You know what I mean. <laughs> and yet, I saw a flat earther post on Facebook. This was so much fun. I don't know. I don't remember her name. It's my. It is. It is. It's, I don't remember her name. It was my. It was. She's an aunt of my sister's husband. Okay. Travis Wilcoxon's aunt. We'll figure it out. Okay. You know. You know Travis Wilcoxon, right? That's my. That's my brother-in-law, and it's his aunt, and she's a flat earther, and she said. It, she said. The Bible says, the Bible says that the earth is his footstool. How can Jesus put his foot on something that's a globe? Wait, grab that globe over there. I can show you. No, you roll right That's what she said. She said if the earth is the Lord's footstool, how can it be a globe? How can it be spinning and moving through space? She posted this on Facebook. If the earth is the Lord's footstool, as the Bible says, the Bible says it and that settles it, right? Okay. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that if the physical God takes his physical feet and puts them on the physical flat earth, that it's not what the Bible is saying. And if you try and use the Bible that way, you're an idiot. Okay. And that's the kind of stuff that the flat earthers always do. They take metaphorical language and they make it literal, and it's not. I hear all of these people that do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you dare slurs it? Yeah. Listen to what I say. I'm a genius. Okay. Check this out. <laughs> However, you've done it too. So have you. So have I. Jesus, check this out. How many of you? I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. Jesus is the most. Jesus' primary way of communicating is through metaphor. And yet we pick and choose as to which parts of the things that Jesus say are metaphorical and which ones aren't. Do you really think that Jesus wants you to take out your eye? If your eye causes you to stumble, cut out your eye. Right? If your hand causes you to stumble, lop off your hand. Okay? Metaphor. Shall I get really controversial right now? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you really think there's fire in hell? Ooh. I don't know. Do you really think there are worms in hell? <laughs> Disney said. Just saying. I mean, if we've not been, I mean, we've not been to hell, so we don't know if there is or not. Is that what you're trying to say? Or the late Jesus uses like 12 different metaphors to talk about what hell is and how hell works and what hell's all about. Two of them are fire and worms. There's other ones. He uses one called launderer's soap. He uses another one called the, uh, the refiner's fire. He uses another one called, 
And so there's multiple other metaphors. But those haven't worked their way in. We don't have a picture from the mid Middle Ages of Satan washing someone with a with a brush, you know, launderer's soap, the launderer's soap, which was lie, by the way, which is not cool. But anyway, but I'm just saying, metaphor, 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 metaphor. There's a whole lot of metaphor in the Bible. Did you find it? Did you find it? Read it. Telling you. But why do they get themselves in this trouble? Why do they get themselves in this trouble of all of a sudden they have to believe that the earth is flat? And here's the problem. Here's the big, big problem. What if I came along and scientifically, like, I took you into outer space and showed you that the earth was not flat? What has that just done to your faith? Because you told me that the Bible says the earth is flat. And I show you that the earth is not flat. Scientifically prove to you that the earth is not flat. What has just happened to your faith? You just lost your faith. There's a great, really, really good documentary on Netflix called Ahead of the Curve. Okay? From Behind the Curve. I don't remember. It's one of those. And it's all about flat earthers. And there's these guys who are like scientists, like serious scientists and they believe that the earth is flat and they're trying to prove scientifically that the earth is flat and multiple times in the thing they get they get scientific proof that the earth is round and yet they're like well we need to do more tests <laughs> okay like over and over they get scientific proof that they're just dead wrong and yet well we definitely need to do more tests or they'll say things like, well, this just shows you why people believe the earth is round, but it's not. Spiders. Wait, wait, wait. Spiders. Wait. Spiders. If the earth is flat, how can there be a core? There is no core. The center of the earth is the North Pole, and it goes, and it goes out... And, and the and the edge of the Earth is the South Pole. It's actually is 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 Antarctica. Is this ice wall that surrounds that surrounds the outside of the planet, and over the planet is a dome. That is the that is the and it's a big holographic projection. It's not actually real. Come on, you guys don't know this. This is what the Bible says. Hey, if you are these people, that's what you believe, and that is what they believe. I think it's a pride issue. I also think yeah. it's a fear issue. Yeah. Because you build, we build our, the construct, the way we understand reality, on the things that we believe are true. And when something that proves that we're wrong about one of those things that we believe are true, it, rather than tear down our whole construct of how the world exists, okay, we would rather just deny the truth. That's what we'd rather do, okay? And people 
who are more believers in the Bible than they are in Jesus are dangerous. Okay? They're dangerous. Do I believe what the Bible says about Jesus? I absolutely do. 100%. I do. Do I think I am 100% interpreting all of it correctly? No. I don't. I'm doing my best. But I would be okay if tomorrow somebody proved to me that one of the things that I understood about God was incorrect because you know, it, was in, it was interpreted in a different way. My trust is in the actual God who created the universe, his son Jesus Christ. That's where my trust is. My trust is not in my interpretation of the scripture. Okay? And when we live there, where we're open-handed with our interpretation, it's okay for God to mess with my interpretation of the scripture because God does not change, then we're safe. Because my hope and my trust is in the one who created all things, and he can mess with my interpretation all he wants, I'm good, I'm solid, I'm safe. Remember that I talked to you about climbing the tree and trying all the branches? Okay, most people won't do that because it's scary, because it's dangerous. What if I have to change my mind? <gasps> oh, no. Would it be the worst thing in the world for you to have to change your mind about anything? For some people, the answer is yes. It would. Because the way that I believe forms my identity. And I would say, yeah, that's true. Maybe you should stop believing in all the things people say about God and start believing in God. Y'all with me right now? Because here's the truth. Here's the really, really wild, weird, and scary thing that none of us really understand. None of us really has a grip on. And it's this. That the form of Christianity that is practiced by the assemblies of God, which is beautiful and I love it and I'm in and I'm an ordained minister of the assemblies of God and I fully support the Indiana district of the assemblies of God. Okay, I am in. Okay. I'm in. I didn't have to become an AG minister. I could, I could be, you know, a Methodist or a Buddhist or something else right now. I could have been anything else. This is, this, this is the group I chose to be a part of. But I want you to understand something. This form of Christianity, okay, is, is about 100 years old. Okay? This particular set of beliefs, the 16 fundamental truths, it's about 100 years old. Now, there are pieces of those things that go back all the way to the very beginning of Christianity. Absolutely. I'm not saying that's not true. It is. But I'm saying this particular set and this particular cultural mindset is about 100 years old, and we're still obviously changing all the time. Okay? But when you grew up like I did in an AG church, and it's the only thing I ever see, and people just say to me, this is how it is. And this is, this is what's true, and this is what's real. 
And all of a sudden, I wake up and realize that there's 2,000 years of Christianity behind me, and not all of them agreed with everything that I believe in right now. But they still loved Jesus. And they're still my brothers and sisters. And maybe, maybe, Maybe they had some good ideas that in our haste to create something quote-unquote better, we threw away. The only way we're going to know that is to continue to walk forward. And, but we also have to be cognizant of, we have to be aware of, we have to be un understand these other things that existed out there. There's this thing that I'm, I'm learning about right now. It's an ancient practice of the church. It's been around in Christianity for roughly... Uh, 1,200, no, 1,800 years. Okay, it's a monastic practice. It's called examine. Everybody ever heard of it? Okay. And that's where twice a day, at lunch and then right before you go to bed, you, you get away for a minute, even if it's just in your own mind, and you sit and you walk through everything that's happened in the day. Just thing by thing. And you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what were you saying to me. And you thank him. I thank you for the things that happened to me today. I thank you for the conversations that we had. I thank you for the things that I learned. Help me to see this more clearly. And you would be amazed... And how, how the Holy Spirit will bring up a conversation and say, hey, you didn't love them very well in that conversation, and you should probably go back and have them say something to them about that. Or, this is what I was saying to you in, this, in that moment, and you missed it completely. And if you don't take that time, now that's an 1,800-year-old idea. Well, it's kind of a great one. But you're not going to learn it from an AG school. It doesn't mean I don't love AG schools. I'm all for them. Man, praise the Lord. But that doesn't mean that they are the sole arbiters of what's wise and what's good and what's God. You with me? Yeah. When I say arbiter, I am not talking about the guy from Halo. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus is the revelation of who God is. Jesus is the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for scripture. But it's just a tool that helps me to see God clearly. And if I don't have the Holy Spirit's help with interpreting scripture, and even when I do, I'm probably going to interpret some stuff wrong. And I need to just be humble about that. Yeah. Okay. Also, for the processing. So it's yeah, like go ahead. Okay. Sure. Okay, so you're saying <clears throat> so we know that the Word of God is Jesus, Jesus, the Word of God made yes. in the flesh, mm -hmm. in a physical way, and so 
Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Jesus is God's last word on the subject of himself. So, we probably haven't gone too far with it, but so to misinterpret and misconstrue the written word of God is to as well misinterpret and misrepresent the character of God. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you and I, every single one of us, have some really ugly pictures of God. Yeah. Did we meet last year? <laughs> yeah. We'll do that again sometime. We have some really ugly pictures of God. We really do. And we don't even recognize that we do. But there are some lies we've believed about God. And if we ever really spent time with those, the Holy Spirit and the Bible would bring those lies to our attention and it would and would get rid of them. Because we didn't get those lies from the Bible. We got those lies from our interpretation of the Bible, maybe, but we didn't get them from the Bible. I don't want anybody walking out of this room and telling people that I said that the Bible wasn't inspired, wasn't our most important witness of who the nature of God is. Because I'm not saying that. I am saying that. But I'm saying it's not God. And I'm saying our interpretations of Scripture are often more colored by our cultures, our surroundings, the world that we live in, the friends that we have, and the people we listen to than they are by the nature and character of God and by the force of the Holy Spirit himself. <clears throat> Our insecurities, our brokennesses, our Enneagram number, they all mess with how we read the Scripture. Which is why we so desperately need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we need to say, Jesus, eradicate ugly pictures of you. You don't have time to do that prayer exercise right now, so we're not going to. But we will at some point. <clears throat> Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Last thing I'm going to say. Nah, we'll just leave it. All right. Well, I was going to talk about grace and truth and what those really mean, but we don't really have time for that. We don't really have time for that. I just want to say this. Grace was not invented in order to respond to your sin. Grace has been a reality in the heart of God since before creation. So what does grace look like when it's not a response to sin? Think about that for a minute. God does not exist in response to sin. God is God. And sin is just shade. Father, we love you. We thank you. Do good stuff today. Amen.
Everybody okay?